Well, good evening, everybody. Good to be alive. Great to live in Michigan. Great to serve the Lord. It's a good day. It's a good day. This is my last lesson with you before we go into our new semester of life groups. Um, I, I've tried, I've tried to uh, be able to get you to see uh, there's no way that I could uh, cover this entire subject in six weeks. I knew that. And uh, what, what I do trust is that this season of Bible study and Bible class has possibly given you a new desire to search the scriptures. And, and, and uh, if you already have a desire, then just to keep on going and keep on digging. I, I've never been a strict uh, numerologist. I've seen some people <clears throat> take that thing to real extremes. And, um, and all they do for me a lot of times is just muddy the water. But um, however, every letter in the Hebrew alphabet does have a, a number attached to it. And... Um, Matthew will give you a little picture of what that looks like behind me. And, uh, you, you know, you go from left to right or from right to left in Hebrew, not like we do. And um, so, you know, Aleph, which is the first letter, that's one. Beth is two. Gimel is three, et cetera. And, um, and it's obvious uh, there is a book in the Bible called Numbers. And uh, there's a lot of numbers in the Bible. Uh, and although I, I don't claim to understand the significance of all of them, you can't negate the fact that the number seven pops up on the radar a lot of times in the Bible. And um, what uh, I, I took one of our lessons to try to show you how the seven days of creation find their expression in the seven feasts uh, in Leviticus 23. And then using that, um, I, I tried to launch and give you an insight how that I, I really believe that the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are not just seven actual churches that existed in the past, but they find their expression in the seven consecutive parables that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13. And if I'm right about that, then the last church is Laodicea, and the last parable is the parable about the net. And um, you fish with a pole, you get one fish at a time. Uh, two times in my life, I've caught two fish on the same bait. Uh, two times. I, I, caught a, I caught a fish, and as I was reeling it in, a bigger fish bit the fish I caught. And uh, got his teeth hung up in the first fish and couldn't get off. The second fish wasn't hooked at all. He was just stingy is what he was. And, uh, but um, it's one thing to fish with a fishing pole. It's another thing to fish with a net. You throw out a net, uh, you're going to get all kinds of stuff. And uh, that's what's going on now. The Lord is, uh, I believe, throwing out a net one last time dragging it through this world, trying to scoop up every possible thing he can, trying to get, get us in the boat. And, um, and if we are Laodicea, and if this is the season of the net, it is what the word calls the final season. Um, this is not the end of the world, but we are living in a time when the church age will very soon be over. And by that I mean you deal with Gentile people who are able to be in the church. The Bible said we were grafted into a Jewish stump. And it said if he didn't regard it, you know, said he cut down the first tree, grafted us in, and said before you get too full of yourself, understand that if he cut the original tree down, he can cut us down too. We were just grateful and by the mercy of the Lord, we were put in. We, this is, the church has a Jewish root system. 
and, and we're grafted into that. And um, um, the coming of the Lord, the return of Jesus Christ is upon us. Uh, now, this has been preached and warned for many, 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 many years. Uh, in fact, this is how the, uh, the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians begins. Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. Here's the message. Friends, read these next words carefully. Slow down and don't go jumping to conclusions regarding the day when our master Jesus Christ will come back and we assemble to welcome him. Don't let anyone shake you up or get you excited over some breathless report or rumored letter from me that the day of the master's arrival has come and gone. The church in Thessalonica was afraid that they had missed the second coming of Jesus. And so Paul is writing, settling them down. And um, Bible says in Jude verse 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about the coming of the Lord. I've heard the phrase, last days, all of my Christian walk. Let me show you a different way to look at last days. This is Acts chapter two, the message of Peter on the day of Pentecost. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So when you look at Joel's prophecy in Joel chapter 2, which is what Peter was quoting in Acts chapter 2, the last days started at Pentecost. The last days started when the Holy Ghost was poured out 2,000 years ago. And uh, when I look at the word, I, I see, you know, why, why do you think we're so close, Brother Hoffman? Because I see large volumes of scripture that have been fulfilled. Amen. Let, let me see your hand. Is there anyone in this room that has ever heard of the Balfour Agreement? The Balfour Declaration? Anybody? Not many, if any. The Balfour Declaration was a document that was drafted in 1917 during the First World War. It was drafted in Britain, announcing that the British people were in support of the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people. And when the horrors of the Holocaust were finally revealed to the world after the Second War, there was a mass migration of Jews. A lot of Jews lived in Poland. They lived in Russia. Uh, when, when, when Hitler was done, I believe there was 200,000 Jews left in Poland. Slaughtered millions of these people. So... Um, when the Jews did Passover, even today, Orthodox Jews, they end Passover with this, next year in Jerusalem. And uh, there, there has been a mass migration of Jewish people into Palestine or what today we would call the nation of Israel. Um, Ezekiel prophesied this. This is Ezekiel 36 and verse 24. For I will take you from among the heathen and will gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Um, when you read Ezekiel 37, if you've ever been in church for any length of time, uh, you've heard about the valley of dry bones. They used to sing an old song, you know, hip bone connected to the leg bone, whatever. Uh, that's in Ezekiel 37. And he shows Ezekiel the vision of a valley full of skeletons, dried bones. And he asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? 
Ezekiel gives a very diplomatic answer when he said, you know. I don't know, but you know. And uh, listen, this is Ezekiel 37, beginning at verse 11. Then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost and we are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves. I will cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. Um, he is saying that I'm going to take something that by all appearances is dead and lifeless and I'm going to make it live again. And uh, no one thought this could happen, but the Lord had never forgotten the promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis 12. He said, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, because I'm going to give it unto you. And what you need to understand when viewing the conflict that is still going on today, you have to understand Abraham had two sons. The first one was Ishmael. The second son was Isaac. Listen to what it says in Romans 9 and verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. The Arabic people traced their lineage to Abraham through Ishmael. The Jewish people and the church traced their lineage to Abraham through Isaac. Legally, Ishmael was the firstborn and therefore he should have the land. But scripturally, Isaac is the child of promise, not Ishmael. And so, there's no answer to this question because legally, the Arabic people are right. Scripturally, the Jewish people are right. That's why you recently paid over $4 a gallon for gas. Have you ever heard or read that verse that says, when Zion travails, children are born? Listen to what the whole verse says. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. This is talking about a nation being born in a day. If you're a student of history... We're talking about 1948, and not just 1948. We're talking about a very specific day, May the 14th, 1948. That is the day that Israel became a nation. They literally fulfilled Isaiah's, if you do the homework, in a day, pow, they're on the map. And they're a real, legitimate country. There are chapters in the Bible, of course, uh, depending on what season you're studying about. I know all scripture is profitable. However, depending on what subject you're studying, there are chapters that give more insight into one subject than others. For instance, when you study the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalms 119, every verse in Psalms 119 is about the power of the word of God. When you study Hebrews 11, it's known as the faith chapter. When you study 1 Corinthians 13, it's known as the love chapter or the charity chapter. 
But when you study prophecy, there are very few chapters in the Bible more pregnant than Matthew chapter 24. Watch how it begins. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. Jesus said, see ye not all these things? There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Again, if you study history, Herod remodeled the temple. He covered it with gold leaf. When the Romans invaded Jerusalem in 70 AD, they set the temple on fire. Gold, which is malleable, which means it, it melts at a very low temperature. The gold melted on the walls and ran down the walls like wax from a candle. And just like wax from a candle, it puddled and congealed in the cracks between those stones. And those Roman soldiers literally took pry bars and pried the stones apart to get at the strands of gold that had puddled and hardened in the cracks. And the prophecy of Jesus came true. They tore the thing apart. But what interests me is how this chapter begins. Jesus, what's going to be the sign of your coming? The end of the world. And then Jesus goes into this amazing teaching session when he talks about, first of all, signs that are going to happen in the world before he comes back. He talks specifically about famines. He talks very specifically about earthquakes in different places, places that never had an earthquake before. He talked about changing weather patterns. But he didn't just talk about signs in the world. He talked about signs that would be in the church. There would be apostasy. The church would be persecuted. And he said the gospel would be preached to the world. Then he talked about signs that are going to be in the heavens when he comes back. Solar and cosmic disturbances. Asteroids. Have you noticed Lately, how in the last couple of years, the film industry has latched onto this and put out just a whole host of movies about the earth getting hit with an asteroid or a meteor shower. And when you get to the end of the chapter, he gives signs that are going to happen in the nation of Israel. This is 24 and 32. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putting forth his leaves, you're going to know that summer's nigh. So likewise ye, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Watch this. This generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled. I, I, I don't have time to go into this because I have a lot of ground to cover for you tonight. But there are so many verses in the Bible that talk about fig trees and talk about the nation of Israel. Jeremiah talks about it in great length. Hosea talks about it. Jesus used the fig tree, I believe, for a very specific reason. It, it surprised me to learn <coughs> that of all the trees in the land of Israel, the fig tree is the last tree to bloom. Every other tree is already budded and bloomed. They're going on with fruit. But the last one to bud is the fig tree. One of the things he's trying to show it is when that fig tree starts to bud, we're getting close to the end. And uh, this is what he said right after this. But as the days of Noah were, 
so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Two will be in the field, one's taken, the other left. Two going to be working at the mill, one taken, the other left. Watch, he said, for you don't know the exact hour when the Lord's going to do this. I am completely convinced that the nation of Israel is what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the fig tree starting to bloom. In the middle of this, he says this powerful, powerful statement. This generation will not pass until all these things be fulfilled. So you have to ask a simple question. How long is a generation? Um, It's been a debate for many years. To me, I just simply look at the term generation. I think of my generation. I think of your generation. My question is simple. How long do people live? That's a generation to me. Psalms 90 and verse 10 says, you can get 70 years and if by reason of strength, you you can get 80. So, he said, I'll tell you when the clock starts ticking, when that fig tree starts blooming. I'm convinced, and I don't have time to flesh all this out, it's not totally fair to you, but I am convinced and I have a lot of Bible and a lot of people on my side that the clock starts ticking when Israel becomes a nation on that day. So, add 70 years to 1948 and you'll get 2018. Add 80 years to it, you'll get 2028. You get where I'm going? We don't have a lot of time left. My dad lived to be 83 or 93, but I've had good friends die in their 40s. 70, that's pretty standard. 80, things start wearing out. 90, good luck. And if I start with the nation of Israel in 1948 and stretch it to 80 years, that's 2028. When I look at what has happened to Israel, their regathering, the miracle that had to occur for them to have a homeland, the crazy patterns of earthquakes, storms, tsunamis, polluted water, polluted air. Romans 8 talks about creation groaning. It's not talking about people, it's talking about the planet. The chaos that's in the world, the chaos that's in the church, the chaos that's literally in and on this planet. I told someone the other day, I'll tell you the truth, I don't trust this government. Heard all this noise the last two weeks about George Santos, uh, a freshman congressman-elect from New York, uh, lied about where he went to school said his mom died when the South Tower crashed on 9-11, said his family were all Jews. Last week he admitted, I didn't say that, I said we were Jewish. And so many liberals are asking for his head. Look how many times he lied, and I'm not excusing his behavior, but I look at it and say, well, he's just trying to act like the president who said gas was at $5 a gallon when he became president. That's a lie. He said the average federal income tax paid by people in America is 8%. That's a lie. He said he's been in Iraq and Afghanistan over 40 times. That's a lie. He said there were 30% more small businesses after COVID than before. That's a lie. He said we're sending the vast majorities of people 
back after they've crossed the border. That's a lie. My point is simple. I don't have confidence in this government. I don't trust the food we're eating. GMO, genetically modified. I don't trust the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, who just one month ago, December 1st, 2022, admitted more people died who had been vaccinated than those who did not get vaccinated. My point is obvious. Listen to these verses. I am the Lord. I change not. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. My assessment is obvious. You can trust him. You can trust him. I don't trust much about what's going on around me, but I trust him. Because the Bible said, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Some trust in horses. Some trust in chariots. We're going to remember the name of the Lord our God. When I see the amazing volume of scripture that has been fulfilled, I recently taught you about Isaiah. He had a vision. He said he saw the Lord high and lifted. That spoke to me because I remembered Philippians 2 and 9 that said his name is above every name. But then I remembered Ephesians 1 and 21 that said it's far above every principality and power and might, not above, far above. And I believe that ties into Isaiah's revelation. In order for there to be smoke in the temple or a manifestation of his presence, he has to be lifted. He has to be high. That's why the Bible says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. You get in Psalms, there's symbols and there's high sounding symbols. There's praises and there's high praises. And it said, if these high praises are in their mouth, they will bind their kings with fetters of iron and their nobles with chains. This honor every saint has. That's why Psalms is important. Lift up your heads. Psalms 3 said in verse 3, He is the lifter of my head. I see people, I don't have it with me, but everywhere I go, man, especially in airports, I don't know how many airports I've been in this year. You want to see something funny? Go to YouTube and type in people who run into stuff while looking at their phone. People aren't lifting up their head. They're looking at their phone. Bible says, lift up your eyes. Psalms 134 and verse 2 said, lift up your hands. I would that men would pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. And then it says, lift up your voice. I taught you about Job. I go forward. He's not there. Backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. I looked in front, I didn't see him. I looked over my shoulder, I didn't see him. I looked on the left, he wasn't there. I looked on the right, he wasn't there. Job looked everywhere except one place. Job didn't look up. So that's why I will add this verse to my progression. And when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up. Lift up your hands. 
your redemption is coming. Amen. This subject is vast, and I, I knew I would only scratch it, but I hope to encourage you to understand that prophecy was not meant to scare you. Because fear is the beginning, that's what the Bible said. But the scripture said, we're, we want the end of our faith, not the beginning of it, the end of our faith, even the salvation of our soul. Because this is what it says in Revelation 19 and 10. I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I love this verse. You got, this verse won't make any sense to you until you read Acts chapter 12. When you read Acts chapter 12, it talks about they killed John's brother, James. They beheaded him with a sword. You read this just about any other translation you can find. I was doing that because I had to speak at a funeral. And I just happened to be reading Revelation 19. John saw what he thought was an angel and he fell down to worship him and an angel said, oh, no, 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 get up. Don't worship me. I'm your brother. I'm your brother. It's me, John. I got my head back on. The Lord put me back together. Let me tell you something, buddy. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Did you ever give a testimony in church? When I was a kid, we used to have testimony services. They were terrible. I was in a church one time where a woman stood up and just asking the church to pray for this man and the woman. Their marriage was in such trouble. One of the people that went to that church explained to me, this woman religiously watches the soap operas every day. She just asked us to pray for someone who's having marriage trouble on one of her soap operas. Where they get divorced every week. But I'm afraid sometimes we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater because we don't have testimony services anymore. There are people who still have legitimate testimonies about what the Lord has done in their lives. I'm not talking about my testimony or your testimony. I'm talking about the testimony of Jesus. You go to court, you ever been to court? Have to testify? Hey, do something before you do that. Put your hand on that Bible. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's what you gotta say. <laughs> Don't you get it? Trust me, when he testifies, he's going to tell the truth, the whole truth, because he is God. Prophecy isn't there to terrify you if you're living for him. If you aren't living for him, start. <laughs> if you aren't living for him, begin. Now faith, the Bible said. If you don't want to live for him, it's going to scare you to death. I want it to scare you to life. God has many titles. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is my righteousness. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. Jehovah Rai, which means the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. There are lots of titles for God in the Bible. But God only has one human name, Jesus. He is not three persons. He has three offices. 
I spent a lot of time on this and I found something today in, in study that maybe somebody has said this before, but I never heard him. There are three times that David was anointed in the Bible. I knew that. First of all, he's anointed by the prophet Samuel when he was just a boy. That's in Samuel 16 and verse 13. But at the beginning of 2 Samuel, David is anointed for the second time in chapter 2 and verse 4 as king over Judah. But if you know your Bible, there's Judah and there's Israel. So in 2 Samuel 5 and verse 3, David is anointed king over all the tribes of Israel. So now he's king of everybody. David is anointed three different times. I, I knew I was on to something and I found this. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment. She's called a sinner. Some people have called her a former prostitute. That's not in the Bible. She is referred to as a sinner. I've got to go quick because I've got a lot of scripture to cover tonight. If you read through this story, Jesus specifically refers to the man who owns the house, Simon the Pharisee. That's where he's having dinner that day. That's where the woman anointed him. But then I found this in John 12. And then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which was, was which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. One talks about an alabaster box of spikenard, but this one's different. This is, or it's an alabaster box. This one talks about a pound of spikenard. I had no idea what spikenard was. So I started studying. Guess what? It only grows in one place in the world, in the Nepalese region of, of the Himalayas. That's a long way from Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, I won't give you all the verses, but um, it says 300 pieces of silver. This is a year's wages. I want you to get the revelation. This is John 12. Six days before the Passover. Which Passover? The Passover where Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. It's a totally different anointing than Luke 7. This is two years earlier at the beginning of his ministry when he's in the house of a man named Simon the Pharisee. And then I found this. Now Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. And there came a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. Now there's a lot of Simons in the Bible. But there are massive differences, and I wish I had time, but I, I got to cover ground. The Simon that's mentioned in Matthew 26 is Simon the leper. That's the guy that owns the house. The Simon that's mentioned in Luke 7 is Simon the Pharisee. I did a lot of homework on this. 
whether you had it or whether you don't have it. There is no way the Pharisees are going to let you join their sect if you've been a leper. It's a total different guy. And not only that, it's in a completely different city. Jesus got anointed three times. I always thought there was just one woman that broke the box and anointed him. There's three of them in three different locations. The reason is it lines up with the three anointings of David. Jesus said, I'm the God that was. Ah, wow. I'm the God that is. I'm the God that is to come. That's why the three anointings coincide with prophet, priest, and king. When he says, I'm the God that was, that's Jesus during his earthly ministry. The prophet. The woman at the well said, sir, we all know you're a prophet. But the God that is, that's Jesus right now. The Bible said, he ever liveth that maketh intercession for us. We have not a high priest who can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are without sin. And he that is to come, that's our coming king. The God that was, the prophet. The God that is, the priest. The God that is to come, king of kings. Lord of lords. I have a good friend. Some of you know him. He lives in Romulus, Michigan. I want you to pray for Brother Wilson. They're trying to buy a new, or not, they're trying to buy another church. They had their church sold. They went to close and the check bounced of the people that had bought their church. So they're in limbo. People were all excited. Let's pray with them. Amen. The will of the Lord to be done. So I was talking to a friend of mine today named Edwin Harper. And he said, don't you know Art Wilson? And I said, yeah, I do. He said, call Art Wilson and ask him this question, which I did this afternoon. According to Brother Wilson, who is the chaplain of the United Nations, Art Wilson isn't just some preacher from Yarmouth. He has full diplomatic status. <laughs> That's a big deal, ladies and gentlemen. Art Wilson said something to me today that just made every circuit in my brain start to rash and fizzle. He said, Harold, the agenda of the United Nations does not go beyond the year of 2030. That's it. He said, they've had it planned for many, many years, but I can take you. And he said, I can validate this. They have 17 things that they intend to accomplish by the year of 2030. And after the year of 2030, they said the government will be run by what they called a different hierarchy. That's what they said. There will be no United Nations after 2030. They intended to disband it. It won't go on. So what are you saying, Brother Hoffman? I'm saying we're Laodicea. I'm saying this is the time where God's dragging the net. I'm saying this is a time to get serious about serving the Lord. This is a time to grow some roots. Amen. Get some roots down. Spread your branches wide. Have some fruit. Let's be the church that God has called us to be. Let's be the church that God has called us to be. Will you stand with me? We're going through a time of fasting and prayer. I appreciate everyone that's participating. You can do it in many, many ways. You can fast for 21 days with water, then I challenge you to do it. I've done it before. It's not fun. It's not easy. But after the third day of throwing up and headaches, it just pretty much becomes to be about the same thing. 
not throwing up in headaches. You just, you get over that because your body changes. If you could fast for a day with just water, fast a day. If you can have dinner and not eat until dinner the next day, fine. Maybe you need to turn your computer off. Maybe you need to fast some of that stuff. Because have I said to you for a long time, nothing goes fast during a fast. It all slows down. You're going to get mad quicker now than you have. I've already been through three fights today. Three different incidents, one in my house, two outside of my house. And I just laughed. It's like, dirty devil. You know, don't you? You know. He'll do everything he can to stop us from praying and fasting. Because the kind we're up against now isn't going out without fasting and prayer. If one puts a thousand to flight, two does ten thousand. Three does a hundred thousand. Four does a million. Five believers does ten million. Six believers does a hundred million. Seven believers does a billion. Eight believers does ten billion. Nine believers does a hundred billion. Ten believers does a trillion. You get the you get the idea? Ladies and gentlemen, Satan can't create demons. He has a limited number of resources. But the God that we serve is the creator. If he wants to make some more, he can. Bible talks about an innumerable company of angels. If we will bond and bind together for these next three weeks, there are not just millions or billions, trillions of things that we can overwhelm and that we can defeat So guard your marriage because the enemy's going to try and get one of you mad at the other. Guard your family. Your kids are going to shoot off their mouth. Don't kill them right now, okay? You'll see it in church. Very easily offended right now. As a matter of fact, that's one of the signs of the coming of the Lord. Many will be offended. Boy, whatever happened to comedians? I would hate to be a comedian today. Because comedy's dead, ladies and gentlemen. You can't make fun of anybody anymore. Because everybody's so thin-skinned and so terrified. How dare you say that? Man. It can leach into the church to where we can be easily offended. And easily. You've got to guard the oneness of the spirit that we can only have in him. Understand, the fig tree bloomed. That thing started. This generation is coming to an end. I don't know how much time we have. I just know based on the Bible, wow. I just don't see anything else he has to do. When Lee Stone King died in Sydney, I, I know those people very well. Ted Slack has died, but Ted Slack was there at the airport when Lee Stone King died. He was dead, I believe, almost 20 minutes. They did everything they could. My dear, precious pal, Ted Slack, began to pray for him, and God resuscitated him. They took Lee Stone King and kept him for three months in Gina Gretsch's house, spoon-fed him and nursed him back to health. But Art Wilson invited Lee Stone King to speak in front of the General Assembly of the United Nations. And taking his cue from the Apostle Paul, instead of trying to impress them, he said, I want to tell you about how the Lord raised me from the dead. And gave his testimony how that he was dead and God revived him. His testimony ends with this. I give you Jesus. I give you Jesus. My friend, Brother Wilson, asked the people there, how many languages was that translated in? They said, all of them. And he said, what? 
said, anything that goes on in the General Assembly of the United Nations is translated into every known language and dialect that we are aware of in the world. So by my observation, that's the first time the gospel has been preached to the world. We have been given the tools, the internet, these precious young people that we have now, are, they're brilliant with this stuff. But to whom much is given, much is required. We have a duty and a mandate. There will be persecution and there will be apostasy. But Jesus said in the church, my gospel is going to be preached in the world for a witness. And then the end's going to come. It's sober. It's serious. Get serious about serving Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for the privilege to address these brothers and sisters of mine. I'm so grateful for what you've done in this church family. I've seen you do things that defy logic. I've seen you literally do miraculous things among us. You said greater things than these shall you do because I'm going away. You left, we're here. But we understand this is not going to happen just because you promised it to us. It's not going to happen just because we see it in the word. We want to be involved in what you intend to do in this season of this world. I don't think there's anything left that you have to prove. I believe you've given us the tools and the resources to be able to touch people's lives that would please you. So Father, at the beginning of this month and at the beginning of this year, we declare completely together, corporately, we're going to please you this year with our lives. We're going to please you with our lives because we want one thing. We want your favor on our lives and on this church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being in Bible class tonight. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.